Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Football Social Daily, Premier League podcast. Welcome to Football Social Daily, your Premier League podcast from the Sports Social team. Every Wednesday on the show, we strive to bring you an interview with a former Premier League personality. And in the first few weeks of 2023, we've had some absolutely cracking guests for you. We've spoken to Champions League winners, club legends, cult heroes and players who have taken to the field with some of the greats of the game like Cristiano Ronaldo and Diego Maradona. Not only that, but we've spoken about some of the more unconventional aspects of the beautiful game as well. Let's take a look back at some of the guests we've had in 2023 so far. It all kicked off at the turn of the year with our big feature interview with Manchester United icon Brian McClare. Chockey, as he's well known, scored some vital goals in the colours of Manchester United. But just how did he get that infamous nickname? Well, the former Celtic man told us the answer when he joined us on Football Social Daily. We went to pre-season tour to um, Switzerland. I don't remember we went to play Basel. They were called something else now, Ball or something. <laughs> and they had a right typical old stadium and at the back of it was a great big terracing. And I, I remember it being really, really warm that, that trip. It was in the 90s in the shade. And we were not really warming up because it was warm anyway, just before the game. And you could hear some lads singing some Celtic songs or the Celtic song, but you couldn't see them. And then they appeared at the top of this gigantic terrace and right? not the easiest place in those days to get to Switzerland. It certainly not, never has been the cheapest. And they come over and mindful it's roasting. They've got a big jacket on. They've got the, they've got a hat on, a tammy on, a scarf. They might as well gloves on. <laughs> and they walk down the terrace and one of them shouts down, on you go, the chocolate McClare. <laughs> I'd only signed a few weeks earlier. And Tommy Burns, who's one of the funniest people I've ever come across, liked this idea that something might annoy you. So I thought that would annoy you, right? Chocolate, you actually are having it. So from that moment on, it was chocolate, 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 chocolate. And he made sure he made he made it stick, right? and that made and it just got shortened. 
from chocolate to chalky. But some people in England, certainly over the years, have been confused about the spelling of it. So some people have asked me, well, when I say, well, it's because of chocolate McLaren, and they go, mm, don't get that. Well, how you difficult? Chocolate chalky. Oh, right, I get it now. Can you not get that? <laughs> As I say, Tommy Burns. Did it work, though? Did it annoy yeah, you? Okay. No, I loved it. Because it, the more he tried to annoy me, the more I, I was yeah. kind of in it. And it's not. And when you look right through the pantheon of, of football players, it's, it's a pretty unique name, you know. Before you moved back to Scotland to play, you were at Aston Villa in the academy. Tell us about that. And why, why didn't it work at Villa when you were there? Uh, well, you, you find out quite quickly about about adult life really I mean you, you you go through different stages of school you know but nothing prepares you certainly at that time for that I left school at 16 and um, with the qualifications that were enabling me to get into tertiary education which I, I did do the following year but I'd been up and down to Aston Villa I really liked it there they, they wanted me to sign well one person in particular wanted me to sign for them and they promised me that um, they would I'd be able to continue my education. I was really keen at the time on on mathematics, and they would say, "Well, you can we'll, we'll look to to um, get you into doing uh, it would be an A level maths then." But that that lad who was a youth development officer, he left the day after I, I actually joined. Uh, and what you learn in the lesson about football, you come in as a sixteen year old. They're ex- everybody's expecting you to be a, an adult and deal with things in an adult way. We did pre-season, which was exactly the same as what the first team were doing, exactly the same, maybe even more numbers, uh, when we were running up and down hills out in the outskirts or the outskirts of Birmingham. But you, what I learned from that kind of point was, was there was a lot of, we'd only had one youth team, uh, and there was a lot of players available to play in that age, one reserves, one youth team, and I didn't play that often. Uh, and the coach, quite early on, the coach of that group of players didn't fancy me. And that's where you learn quite quickly. That's what football's like. Sometimes people like you, yeah, and you'd you'll be favoured. And there's other times where you just have to um, try get on with it and try and impress. I don't know what the, what went wrong with the thing because I went back for the second season and I got called into to run Saunders. They'd won the league that year, and I, I was very big played a big part by making sure that Dennis Mortimer, the captain's boots, were the cleanest boots in the, <laughs> in the old uh, first division then. And I mean, they were the cleanest boots. <laughs> And uh, they'd won the league, and it got very been a brilliant season and all that kind of thing. And I went, I got called into the manager's office after about a week of pre-season, and he said something about university. And I don't know, I'd, I'd apply for uni, but I'd, it was only as a to see whether I would be able to get accepted. I didn't really intended to go. And I, what I vividly remember about it is that, that he used to wear a shed load of aftershave, Aramis. Old My dad used to it. wear that. Your dad used to wear that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, Old like Spice that. is acceptable. Oh, is it? Okay. Anyway, Aramis was a wee bit of a level above. Right, okay. Um, so, right, and it was reeking his office of Like the Aramis. Tom Ford of, yeah. of the John Paul Gaultier of the Joe Malone. And uh, he just said like something about university and he said about Scotland and all that and then he just turned around and said, you can f*** back to Scotland now. And I was like, oh, huh? you can f*** back to Scotland Youth development officer came in and took me back to the digs, packed my bags, and I was on a train that afternoon back to back to Scotland. Thinking that happened not quick. quite the dream that you know <laughs> I had anticipated only a year before. You did come back to England a little bit later on in your career, but before we get onto that, what was life like growing up in Scotland in the nineteen seventies? What was it like for you? What do you remember of it? 
I was born in '63, so my my earliest memories were of kicking a ball about outside. You would just be put outside. I mean, where the where my first house was, it was very safe, cul-de-sac. There's not really a lot of traffic around those days anyway, and I was out all the time. I had the freedom to go kind of wandering even at a very young age. So, when you look back on things, um, you were you were um, involved in um, physical activity every day, kicking a ball about, running around, climbing trees, and that sort of thing. I think gave you a, a base for becoming. I'm not saying I was an athlete, but involved in an athletic, uh, sort of part of an athletic development. You didn't know what you were doing. I do remember one thing about football. There was always football down in the park, and you just go and join in. It was jumpers for goalposts, and there'd be lots of people from all ages. I'd be maybe 12, 13, and there'd be 20-year-olds playing. Mm. And I'm just mass football game, you know, no real... <laughs> 15 aside. But like that, yeah. And, and we used to think it was vulgar to actually score goals. We thought it was better to dribble round a few people, dribble round to was a goalkeeper and stop the ball on the line. Well, a lot of people didn't like this and got kind of disgruntled. <laughs> so part of also your athletic development was you stop it on the line and run like <laughs> Knowing that most of these, some of these are lads being a bit older, were already starting to drink and already started to smoke, so they ain't going to run that far. You knew you could run, <laughs> and they wouldn't. They would stop, even though they might be faster, and you just run like hell, you know, because they were like, humiliated. You'll not make them even better if you'd not make them stop on the line, you know. So it, it it's pretty good, really, you know, the sense of always being able to be outside in all weathers playing football. Having said that, if I had had a PlayStation 5, I'm not so sure I'd have been outside when it was, <laughs> when it was so snowing. Football Social Daily. What a character Brian McClare is, a really top guy, and you can hear both parts of our interview with him just by scrolling back in the timeline or searching for those episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Some cracking tales about Fergie. Even the time that he witnessed, and he couldn't believe his eyes, Eric Cantona's kung fu kick on that Crystal Palace fan. Speaking of Cantona, two-time Manchester United Champions League winner Wes Brown used to shine the Frenchman's boots as he revealed to us on Football Social Daily. Not only that, but ironically, Brian McClare used to be Wes's manager. Chucky, you had Chucky in. Chucky, yeah. Did you play with him? He was my manager at one point. Oh, in the Rezies? Yeah. If I played Rezies, he'd have been a manager. He was top man, Chucky. He always used to say to me, um, Wes, I know you, your first team, but you put a pair of black boots on, please. Because <laughs> <laughs> he made all the Rezies um, wear like, black boots, no, no sparkles. Whose boots did you clean? Back in the day. Back in the day. Yeah. Ours. Did you? Yeah. It's not a bad pair to clean. It's that, not is a bad it? pair. So all them <laughs> goals, was it a fight to clean his boots? Did you clean I'm his boots? Him, I'm cleaning them. No, I don't think it was. I think we just got assigned to it when we started YTS. I was going to say, did you clean his boots on the 25th of January 1996 against Crystal Palace? It's like Aladdin's <laughs> lamp, isn't it? Honestly, I, tell, I tell people this all the time. Every goal that he scored, I've sparkled him. <laughs> so, so you're basically for Cantona's career. You basically did Cantona's career, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, well, if, if, Wes, if Wes anyway, didn't clean Eric's boots so nice it wouldn't have uh, impaled on that fella's chest <laughs> as clean as it did anyway enough about Eric Cantona I'm sure we'll get on to more Manchester United stories in a sec but we want to go back to the start to begin the show with Wes which for you was Fletcher Moss Rangers who yeah. have produced some 
mad players, really, when you think about it. Marcus Rashford, Danny Welbeck's come through there, and I know I'm forgetting loads of others. So how did that start for you? What was it like back then when you were playing for Fletcher Moss? Yeah, it was good. I loved it. I mean, we did it. It was a bit different. It wasn't... um... You know, it's probably only Sunday league you played football, and and I I used to do karate, so I did shoulder can, um, at Wiverton, um, swimming baths for about three years. Karate, yeah, I failed my black belt twice when I was ten. But obviously, I used to play football on the street all the time. And then one of my mates was at Fletcher, Leon Mills, who actually we joined together at United and um, YTS. Um, went and said, "Come, come and have a game." Went down right winger. Just so you know. Well, you started as a right winger. Yeah, yeah. I, ch- I, ch- I wanted to be Ryan Giggs on the right, <laughs> um, and that's how it started. Just playing, playing there. So I probably played for about a year to two years right wing. So you could have been a black belt in karate, but instead you ended still, up. I can still go and do it. <laughs> go on then. Can I, no, I can, I, I can still go and take it. But no, it was good. It, you know, karate is good. It's a lot of um, it's just katas, so there's, there was no physical. Right. Um, against opponents, it was more, um, you know, focus, sit ups, press ups, you know, shape wise, it was all that. So it was good. It was good for me and good to take into football, to be fair. So, what is it about Fletcher Moss that makes it such a good youth team? Because I mentioned those players that have come through and you're one of them. So, what yeah. what is it about Fletcher Moss? Well, I think for us, it was, uh, you know, there was pretty, there was nothing else to do. It was play football or just mess about on the street. So, um, if you had a friend on there, They'd ask you to come down and, and play, and it pretty much went as simple as that. You know, we were, never really got coached or had lessons when we were growing up. We just pretty much played on the street. That's all we did. So, going to Fletcher, playing in a team, playing eleven aside, you know, learning the basics of positions and, and stuff like that. That's what it was about. But obviously, we had a very good team. We had different players at different clubs at the time, and yeah, we we won a lot of trophies at Fletcher. <laughs> So you say about playing on the street, is there anyone that was the best player on your street? Were you like the best player when you went out in the, um, in the streets? Probably, I mean, all my mates are older than me, so they, they let me join in. And then when we got a bit older, we let Welbs join in, because Welbs, that's Danny but he lived across the street. So we used to play from about five, six, along with my brother. And, and they Danny was probably one of the best players I've ever seen. He, he would join in with, like, obviously us, which we were... We were grown-ups at the time. So this um, street in Longsight has produced you and Danny Welbeck? Yeah, Martfield Avenue, just to put it. <laughs> House prices have that. just gone up on that road now. It's weird how that works, isn't it? Like, well, like, that's a complete fluke that Welbeck grew up opposite you lot and it happened to be like the perfect sort of... You know, get better, or will yeah, be you will be you'll fall over on the street, and you won't you won't survive. Yeah, it was literally the the house opposite as well. It wasn't like down the road. It was yeah. literally the house opposite. So obviously, Danny's brothers were a bit older. We always just join in messing about on the street. Often see it as well, isn't it? With the with the younger sibling, you see it in like sporting families a lot, like the Smith brothers from in boxing. You know, mm. Callum's probably the best. He's the youngest. Yeah, yeah. Because like, so. he's been grow up. Fight your brother, or you'll yeah. or you'll get knackered. It's yeah, like yeah. the younger brother, and you know that happens a lot. That. Played against Fletcher Moss a lot when I was younger. Did you? Yeah, you went home crying a bit. Not good times. <laughs> <laughs> Not good times. I mean, we always used to get stick because we did win, um, and it was different back in the day. A lot of arguments with the adults, but other than that, other than that, we we just wanted to play football. And then you end up going to Manchester United's youth academy, mm. and we hear all these stories all the time. We've heard a few on the podcast actually before about Fergie turning up to your house. 
putting his arm around you saying, come on, son, come and play for Manchester United. Was it like that for you as well? 100% no, I didn't quite go like that. <laughs> I mean, I was, um, I went for a trial at Man City and didn't get on. I think when I was 13. And then honestly, a week later, um, Nobby Styles um, phoned the house and, and told me to come to United and that was it really. Within a week I was there. So when did you first meet Sir Alex? I was probably 14 still. Um, I went a slightly different path. I went for trials for the National um, Football League, which was um, at Lillyshaw. Yes. So Because there was a few of you that went to Lillyshaw as yeah, well, wasn't there? It was me. Um, that year was on that. Me, Michael Owen, John Harley, Kenny Lunt, um, Stephen Aslam, Sheffield, Wen- Sheffield Wednesday. They're probably the, the, a few that have sort of became footballers along the way but that was good he got you focused on when you were going to join the club so even though I signed at 14 School of Excellence I was pretty much gone for the two years So what happened with your right wing dream like when did that start to fade and you realised That, that faded when I was about 12 Was it? Yeah I mean one of the lads was ill one this is on true story one weekend and the, the manager was one of the dads and he said he wants to play centre back and I stupidly put my hand up <laughs> Um, but did you really want to or did you no, just no did I I wanted to score I wanted to take people on yeah. I think that's what any kid wants to do but after a few weeks of him making me stay there I realised that not many I was pretty quick so not many people could get past me um, and he pretty much went from there so you're that guy who was uh, injured big deal isn't it the fact that he was out of the squad for yeah, he was only ill. Yeah, I think it was so just So if that Ill. never happened, do you think your career might have gone a different way? He's only 12. I was only 12, you never know, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> and they might have some thought you were a, a winger. I know Fletcher that was, that was serious, but not that serious. <laughs> yeah, I suppose word. at some point I would have probably gone at the back and seen what it was like, but I, I liked it, I liked tackling, you know, and then my whole focus went on defending then. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Who knew that that one street in South Manchester could produce two top quality Premier League players? Wes Brown there, who joined us in the studio on Football Social Daily not so long ago. You can hear the rest of our chat with Wes just by scrolling back in the timeline to find the episode with him. Or alternatively, just hit subscribe and that way you won't miss any of our releases featuring former Premier League players again. Whilst Wes Brown was living the dream as a teenager, winning the Champions League with Manchester United, a young Manchester United fan was making his name in the Football League at Chillingham. Matt Jarvis went on to play for England, as well as Wolves and West Ham United. And for all his accolades on the pitch, he was also recognised on the front cover of a very famous magazine off of it. You were once on the cover of Attitude magazine. 
That is true. Yeah, I got asked to asked to to do it. Um, it was only Freddie Lundberg, David Beckham, and myself that have been on the cover of Attitude magazine, and it was you know incredible honour to be asked, and and I'm I'm really pleased that I was able to to do it, and obviously try and uh, help the taboo that's that's in football. Yeah, I mean that still exists now. People say that we're getting closer to the point where we can have an openly gay Premier League footballer, but it's it's still a little bit of a distance away, it feels like. So it's it's not like people haven't been trying to make the landscape easier. It, it still is probably a little bit too early because of... I, th- I think if you ask any player whether they think it was ever going to be a problem, they're absolutely not. No one um, in change rooms, anything. I, I genuinely believe it's probably just the fans and the, the abuse and, and the... Even if it's just trying to put them off to to help their team win a game it's just unfortunately that's that's not it's not really acceptable and and that's probably one of the major reasons that that no one has is it the same scenario inside the dressing room as out of it so out of it we know there's no publicly gay footballers in the top leagues so is it kind of is it a open i mean statistics suggest there must be gay players in the premier league so is it kind of an open secret within those dressing rooms or is it something that's just kind of not talked about, completely covered over that even their best mates within the changing room might not know what's going on? Yeah, I, I think I think it's probably that, you know, the last one. I don't think anyone really? would know. Wow. Um, I think, like I said, I don't think ever, anyone's ever going to have a problem. I don't think in, in the change rooms anything. Um, I... I, I personally don't know anyone um and that's whether they are or they aren't and they they, they yeah. said or they haven't um i i i have i don't but you would like to think that in the coming years someone will be able to and that will help everyone uh, follow suit i suppose well, you can still buy Matt's edition of Attitude magazine. I looked it up. It's 99p, Jarvo. If you want to bag yourself a couple of copies, you can still get it off the, off the Attitude website. Were they your own pants as well? Were they your own pants or were they provided by the magazine? They were provided <laughs> by. Um, <laughs> I don't think it was. I think it's, uh, a lot of press ups went into that before I did this. <laughs> Absolutely ripped in them photos. I've got to say, I, I, that's, that's an eight pack if ever I've seen one. <laughs> People often ask us here on Football Social Daily what footballers are actually like. They see how they're represented on TV and in the media and they presume that there's an arrogance with all players. Of course, there's that self-confidence, but I think Matt Jarvis is a clear example of just how nice former pros actually are. And from one wide man who played for England to another, Trevor Stephen joined us recently on Football Social Daily. He was on the pitch in the 1986 World Cup in Mexico at the very same moment that Diego Maradona punched the ball in the back of the net against England. Amazing story. And if you want to hear it, you'll have to listen to the full edition of our interview with Trevor. As I mentioned before, just go back in the timeline to find it. But for now, let's hear from the Everton legend about his time at Goodison Park and why he'll be tinged with sadness the day that they finally do leave the grand old lady. How do you feel about Everton moving away from there? Do you feel a little bit of melancholy about it? Any players, you know, whether successful or not, uh, who have played for Everton, 
I've experienced something extremely unique. It's it, it's literally made of wood, you know, in the main. And um, it still has that. It's just steeped in history. You know, the way that you come to, to the dressing rooms, it's so narrow. You're literally shoulder to shoulder with someone. And that's it, coming down the, the, the steps there. And you come out and you come up to, to the uh, ground level for the pitch. Um, and I had some brilliant, brilliant memories there. And it is going to be sad. And it is, it's taken like Arsenal quite a while, hasn't it, to adapt to the, um, the Emirates. Uh, they've got to go it now. Um, but it takes, it can take quite a while. And I hope that Everton don't have to go through that, that, that people are complaining about the atmosphere in the ground. I think it, the football on the pitch tends to help. Uh, greatly as to what kind of atmosphere there is in any particular football ground, but something about Goodison is just being there, and either being with it with the crowd or being there alone. It's quite feels a bit bit of a museum and a bit of history. And Pelé played there in 1966. You know that's where he was kicked off the park um, against Portugal, and you just start to think of those things um, that are you know embedded in all our memories of the great days and they're not so great I suppose obviously times have changed at Everton since you were there winning titles what was that like as an experience to be part of a championship winning team with players who are still spoken about by Evertonians today players who made their mark for England as well yourself being one of them uh, what was that like as an experience how do you recall those memories in those days uh, oh with, with great fondness and you know to think that that was well, the FA Cup win was in 1984. That was my first season at Everton. You, know, you couldn't have asked for any more, could you? You go to your new club, you're stepping up. The club haven't won anything since 1969-70. And, you know, 14 years later, you're in the team that brings silverware back. Um, I mean, that was just an amazing thing. And the FA Cup final itself against Watford was huge for me because I played really well. Uh, and assist on one of the goals. Um and, you know, that day at Wembley, you saw how big Everton was. Uh, the the sea of blue going up Wembley Way uh, to the old build, um, a traditional Wembley Stadium was something you'll never forget. Uh, and of course, I've been to Wembley with English schoolboys, but this was a, another thing, a different experience uh, entirely. Uh, you're playing at the sharp end of the top level of football, and you've got 100,000 and, I don't know, a billion people around the world watching. I don't know what the numbers were, but um, that was brilliant. And then you go and win the championship, the English First Division Championship the following year, and you win the European Cup Winners' Cup. And we should have won the FA Cup, but didn't. The Norman Whiteside was uh, put us to the sword. Um, but it was really too much to comprehend. You know, when you're there, you're in it. Uh, it it's just losing. Um, at Wembley's not good and I lost three times in, in other FA Cup finals so to have that experience of winning it was was absolutely um, you know just unforgettable and it, it, it took us into that that following season with momentum with belief and we were still a very small squad really of about 15 first team players when you consider now I, I played six, I think 63 games um, in that season and that was starting, no no subs, starting every game. So that was a real push and a real challenge, but it was what it was. You know, there was nothing to compare with it. You know, you, you 
started of you in the first 11 that Howard Kendall, um, he, he liked to pick, you were going to play, you just had to keep the performances up and you had to affect the football matches and Kevin Sheedy and I used to sort of have a, a scoring contest really. I was on the right, he was on the left. We had the, the goal scorers of Sharp, Heath and Andy Gray. We didn't have goal scorers in the middle of the field, Peter Rebo, Paul Bracewell. They throw in one or two here and there, but we had a real responsibility to score goals. And uh, and both of us um, were good goal scorers, really. And we used to vie to... I hated it when he scored. Because right? I meant, I, know I really do have to score. Um, and we went through the season. I think he got 17, I got 16 Premier League um, first division goals or championship goals. Uh, no penalties either in that first uh, that first campaign. So yeah, to to have been associated with that winning period at Everton is is amazing. And here we are, two thousand and twenty three, um, and that was sixteen. What was that thirty seven years ago since the the world the FA Cup win? Thirty six since the first championship, and there's not been an Everton team, Everton team apart from the ninety eighty five. Uh, dogs of war winners of uh, the FA Cup. There's been nothing, so we're still held in, in uh, you know, on on pedestals. You know, any time that I'm doing anything for Everton or in the Liverpool area, the reception I get is 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 fabulous. Here, Back to Brian McClare now, who will have locked horns with Trevor Stephen in the old First Division back in the late 1980s, when both were at Manchester United and Everton respectively. And interestingly enough, both of those two players legends on either side of the old firm rivalry in Scotland. But it was in the late 80s and early 90s that Manchester United cooked up a rivalry with Arsenal and there were some really entertaining clashes between those two sides. Everyone thinks of Ferguson against Wenger, Vieira against Roy Keane. But what about Brian McClare against Nigel Winterburn? Have a listen to this. Right, we've got a video in front of you there, Brian. Obviously, if you're listening to the podcast, you won't be able to see this, so I will describe it to you. Brian, are you going to describe this? I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm going to, to describe. describe. <laughs> I'm going to describe the game, and I'm going to describe kind of what happens. But we'll, Brian we'll was put the link on our yes. on our socials. We'll put, we'll put the Twitter, link. Yeah. But Brian was telling us before the podcast that he's never been sent off in his career, but he probably should Ever. have been here. Ever. That's fun. That's well, strange. Nine years of age. So what? You played 500 or something league games, and you never got sent off. Well. That's unbelievable. Anyway, so this is against Arsenal, and Dennis Irwin, your teammate, the Irish fullback, gets cleaned out by Nigel Winterburn bad tackle and you just go flying over to him and then it all kicks off there's about a 20 man brawl uh, so what do you remember of this what happened was it was not, it was a bad it was a poor challenge by Nigel he, he, he could have hurt Dennis and uh, he's, I was right next to the incident and Nigel then uh, thrust his back against my foot twice as you can clearly see there although in this one you've played it the wrong way around and it looks as though I've kicked him twice <laughs> 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 but you, uh, Evan, it, it is, you'll always get situations where you go into the red zone where you've just completely lost it. Mm. And uh, at that split second, it was in the, and I can't explain at all. All our players, going back to that thing, you'd be happy he's playing today. They could say the same thing because they all r- rushed in to uh, support 
Nigel who was Nigel was lying on still on the ground the whole way through this. I don't think he got up at all. You know, and uh, those people throw put not throwing any punches but pushing and all that. Oh there was a punch. Anders Limbaugh, the sneaky little bastard, came round behind and punched me in the ear, resulting in two stitches immediately after. Did it carry on in the tunnel? No. No pieces no, were thrown we'd, on that occasion. We'd had enough of that bit. And then I thought, I, I'm, that's it. I've got to, I'm going to get sent off. No question. I can't be staying on after doing that. And the referee had stepped away. And then when it all calmed down, he came over and, and he booked Nigel Winterburn and play on. <laughs> Were you like thinking I'm getting a hairdryer here? That's what you would have been thinking. Well, right? yeah, that was, gonna that was, get it. That was almost. We, we would lost the game one nil. Well. We were losing one nil. We lost one nil. Anyway, so you knew you were getting it anyway. So well, I do remember um, vol. I went. In, I did go into training ground the next day, and uh, I went in the Nazi knocks, and the manager was sitting there, and I said, "Look, oh, you, you got to find me, you know." And Archie just went like that. What the. F- Possessed you, you know. He's <laughs> in himself, you know. It's because he's seen me playing several times. You don't, don't tend like to that. get angry at all. I then. don't. I don't like that. But it just every time you came, you get into the red zone, and I was in for that moment. I was in the red zone, and Nigel got it. But we'd we'd had a little bit of history in me and Nigel. Eh? We had an incident the year before. Bit Not of blood in there. Yeah. Well, was, I spoke uh, to him. I did. He did the podcast. So we'd, yes. We've, uh, it's just one of those events, you know. There's no mm. no malice out of that. But the year before, yeah, there was. There was an incident now where I'm shaking him like a rag doll. He was pretending, he was pretending to be knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> we need to find these. We need to find yeah, these. Yeah, there is a year before, yeah, but I'll be there. Because it's the same thing. He, just, he, he, he was run, like he caught him out of the corner of my eye. He was rushing chairs straight into a tackle. Uh, I don't know, he just didn't like me. It was just it's one of those things. I mean, just yeah, yeah. players he just didn't like for whatever mm-hmm. reason. And I, I turned and I caught him on my shoulder and he fell and he... Yeah, he was. Pretty, I knew he wasn't knocked out, but I just picked him up and I was shaking him like that, and he's shaking all the arms and the legs and got all over the place. And I thought, there's forty four thousand people watching me here. Never mind the television. I just let him go, and he hit the ground with a satisfying thud. <laughs> and then the year after, we had the pleasure of going to Highbury when they'd won the league and give them a guard of honour. And I said, I went up to him before the game, and I said, Nigel. Let's shake hands on this. It's before somebody gets hurt. <laughs> that was it, done. There was two things that, that got me about this. So, firstly, I was looking for the scrappy goal. So I typed in YouTube, um, typed in Brian McClare, and I was expecting it to say, <laughs> Brian McClare highlights, uh, Brian McClare scrappy goal, and then the other things that you get when YouTube tries to guess what, you, what you're about to type. But the third result was Brian McClare, uh, Nigel Winterburn tackle. So I was like, oh, what's this? Because I'd, I'd forgot about it. I've, I'd seen it before, but it escaped my memory. My and then obviously I watched it. My so. Manchester United career can be edited into four events. Mr. Penalty and an FA Cup tie at Highbury. Yeah, yeah. Which was the worst penalty that's seen until Bruno Fernandes, recent one at uh, Stratford End. 20-man brawl, passing the ball to Cantona, one two with Cantona, made the mistake of passing the ball to David Beckham when he shot from the halfway line. <laughs> <laughs> well, that ties, that ties in perfectly to it. He's always trying the hard thing, and then that one time... But the thing is, so the, this is again another... That, I'm, I'm a sub. The manager tells me, go on, settle the game, get settled down, don't be doing... Make, get them, calm them down and all that. Flip, play out the game. So we're in comfortable possession and just inside our half. I've got the ball. There's David. I'll just roll the ball. I'll, I'll move to the other side. He can pass it back to me and then I can pass it around here. 
And I knew, like, I knew what he was going to, because I'm, I'm thinking, oh, he's going to f*** you. Yeah, I can just tell the way he's set up. I'm going to get this because I've given him the ball. He's told me, I'm thinking, he's going to kill me. He's, he's told me to calm him down. He's shooting from inside the room, huh? <laughs> and so I'm right behind him. That's why I jumped on his back. So I'm right behind him. And I, and I know he's, he's, set, he's set up for just to do it. He hits it and I'm thinking, that's not bad, that. <laughs> you're ready to give him and a you're watching the goalkeeper and then we always had a great support there and you can tell by the, the people jumping up behind the goals that it's scored right it's gone in Yeah. and all I can think about was Scottish goalkeeper <laughs> Neil, Neil Sullivan wasn't it yeah, yeah. Neil Sullivan yeah. <laughs> I was thinking and, and I'm going to get a ball and he's not going to get he's not getting praise for scoring from a fair line he's got, I'm going to get a ball yeah. for, for not keeping the game tight you know so that was and I said I'd jump on his back and that's so that you see me and sometimes see me next Eric, and that's my whole career. <laughs> <laughs> and you can hear all of those interviews by scrolling back in the timeline or just hit subscribe. And that way, the next time we speak to a former Premier League player, you will not miss it. That's it for now, though, on FSD. We'll be back again tomorrow with all the latest Premier League news, views and opinions. Hit subscribe, as I say, and that way stay right in the loop with everything that's going on in the top flight of English football. But from me, Niall, that's it. And we'll catch you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.